Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Last week, we began our new sermon series entitled, My House, A House of Prayer. As Pastor Layton opened the series, he reminded us of how different this past year has been. The vast majority of ministries and gatherings that used to take place within our church building have moved out of the building to smaller gatherings where possible or, on many instances, online. The majority of believers in North America have found this shift extremely difficult. We miss the large gatherings. We miss all of what our buildings provided. But as Pastor Layton explained, with the coming of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the temple, the place of worship, has shifted from the building, as it was historically way back, to the people. 1 Corinthians says, Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. This is actually incredible news for the people of God. This means that wherever we are, that becomes a place of worship. Wherever we are becomes a place of ministry, and we ever, wherever we are becomes a place of prayer. As we begin 2021, our hope is to elevate prayer within our church. We need to be praying. We need to be praying more. That's our heart's passion at this point in time. That's what we sense God is calling us to. And last week, Pastor Layton laid out the foundation for this. Now today, we want to build on that foundation by examining one of the most important teachings on prayer in all of Scripture. For the past few months, I've been helping my oldest son and his wife finish the basement in their home. We framed together, I did the electrical rough in, we hung the gyp rock together, and when it was time to do the drywalling, they came to me and they asked me to teach them how to do it. And I was glad they asked because you can save a lot of money, you can save a lot of cost by doing it yourself, and it's a great skill to have because there's always repairs that will need to be made in our homes. So we went into the back corner of the basement, there was a bedroom there, and we went into the closet. The inside of the closet, it's a perfect place to learn because if you make a mistake there, no one's really going to see it. So in the closet, I showed them how to tape the joints and the corners, how to put drywall compound on evenly and how to fill the screw holes and it was kind of fun to teach them. And I got to say it was kind of a little bit messy too. In Luke 11, we find the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to do something. But what they requested was far more important than learning to drywall. They asked Jesus to teach them something that was life-changing. It was something that would be life-altering. Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, the disciples had been following Jesus for a while at this point in time. And despite asking about prayer because John had taught his disciples, there can be little doubt that Jesus' followers had seen the importance of prayer in the life of Christ. And they'd seen as well, I'm sure, the impact that prayer had upon his ministry. Jesus must have been overjoyed to hear this request. And so he takes the time to share what has become the greatest resource and even the greatest directive the followers of Jesus have for prayer in all of Scripture. The Lord's Prayer, as we have come to call it, is actually better named the Disciples' Prayer because what Jesus gave is actually a pattern for prayer. It's how we ought to pray. It's what we ought to pray about. It's not simply a rote prayer that we recite. 
And what a better way to establish prayer within our own homes and families in this time of, of family uh, restrictions than by laying out what Jesus gave his followers as his instruction on how to pray. In Matthew 6, which is a parallel passage to Luke 11, Jesus began his lessons on prayer with this opening. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first thing that Jesus says is that we ought to pray that God's name is to be hallowed. Now we're going to look at this in greater detail in just a minute, but before we do that, I want us to notice the two little words that Jesus used to begin this prayer. Our Father. From what I understand, there are 72 names used for God in the Old Testament and several more in the New Testament, yet Jesus doesn't use any of those names. Every time that Christ addresses God, he calls him Father. When we trust in the work of Jesus, we receive his forgiveness and we're adopted as true sons and daughters into the family of God. Romans says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. We're a part of the same family. And so at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus directs us to address God as he does, our Father. See, Father denotes recognition, personal relationship. It denotes intimacy. We know, we know each other. And it's a two-way relationship, and that's really what prayer is. Prayer isn't simply about us getting through to God. It's also about God getting through to us so that we can discover all that he has for us and all of the love that he has as Father for us. You know, I don't hear everything perfectly anymore. My hearing is kind of poorer rather than better at this point in my life. But when I hear Dad, I pay attention. And I look forward to interacting and enjoying the time with my kids. When we use Father in prayer, we're calling to our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father, our Daddy. That's what Abba means. And that's the kind of relationship we have as we come to God in prayer. Now, Jesus' use of the, of the term, hallowed be your name, brings another important focus to an aspect of, God, of who God is. In Isaiah 6, the prophet shares a vision of heaven where the greatest angels are calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The triple repetition here, holy three times, puts an extra emphasis on the holiness of God. And all through scripture, we see that God is holy. There is none like him. No one has the authority he possesses. Our almighty Father is to be revered and praised above all else. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking that God's name be held in honor and reverence. First of all, we're praying for the strength to honor and reverence God personally, ourselves. First Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. But being holy, <laughs> that's a struggle for most of us. As one writer put it, we are no more able to be holy in our own strength than we're able to escape the earth's gravity. In our fallen nature, we are simply too weak. In order to break through the force of gravity, a rocket requires 17,000 miles per hour of, of thrust upward from, from the gravity of the earth. This requires, rocket, this requires rocket fuel. To overcome the immense gravity of our weakness and sin, we need more than natural power. This is why we're continually asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking for the power of the Spirit of God to fill us with the courage and strength needed to live that life of holiness. Secondly, we're also praying that God would be glorified among the nations. Psalm 46 reads this way. He says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Well, as people, we can never fully grasp the entirety of God's holiness, nor can we single-handedly share His glory with the nations. There is something that we can do. Scripture informs us that we ought to offer praise for who He is and give thanks for what He has done. Psalm 146, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And so, as the angels in Isaiah's vision sang, we can also worship the Lord by praising, proclaiming, and singing the wonders of God's person and His activity. And so, the first thing that we can do, the first step we can take in learning to pray the Lord's Prayer, is simply just to start with praise and worship. Now, this may be a song we sing as we worship on a Sunday morning. It could be an old classic hymn. It might be a song from our favorite Christian artist. And in all honesty, some of us, we don't sing that great. You don't have to sing it but to embrace the words and offer these to God as praise. All of these sorts of things, these, these songs, can be used to express the holiness of God and worship Him as you begin to pray. Now, the step I just shared with you is the first of six steps in learning to pray the Lord's Prayer. After that, uh, I'll be sharing several more this morning. There's no sermon questions today. I just want you to know that. But what I would encourage you to do is this. You can work through these steps together in your household. You can stop the message after each step is given and practice as we move through the message this morning. Or if you like, you can pray through one step each day this coming week. Six steps, six days between now and next Sunday. And you can find these by texting SERMON to 306-249-0084. And these steps uh, should come to your phone and you'll be able to follow along. Now, Jesus continues his lesson regarding prayer. Matthew 6, verse 10, Your kingdom come. Here we find the second part of Jesus' prayer. We're to pray for God's kingdom to come to us personally and to our world. When asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus responded with this, The kingdom of God is in your midst. The coming of Christ ushered in the kingdom of God. So the work of the kingdom began with Christ. It's already started. But this kingdom will only be completed when Christ returns. Some have used the term already but not yet to describe the kingdom. It's already here but it's not yet completed, it's not yet perfected. Now, there's this twofold nature to the kingdom of God, and this twofold nature dictates two parts to this aspect of the Lord's Prayer. First of all, this is a request for God to rule and reign in our own lives in the here and now. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is a prayer for the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. When we're under the Lordship of Christ and when he's in control of our lives, that's the kingdom of God. It's not about rules and regulations, but righteousness and peace that comes as a result of the Holy Spirit. Praying for the Lordship of Christ is also about being a witness to those who are outside of the kingdom. It's about praying that the gospel would be spread throughout the entire earth. Now, secondly, this is also a request for Christ to return. Matthew 24 says, They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. When Jesus tells us to pray your kingdom, come, his emphasis, he's emphasizing that we are to live our lives in light of his triumphant return. It's a reminder that this world is not our home. So here's the second step now that we can take as we learn to pray through the Lord's Prayer. We are to pray for God's kingdom to grow. This means that we need to recognize and even repent of those times when, we building, when we're building our own kingdom instead of God's. This is about a time to pray for our non-believing friends. It's a time 
it's a prayer of expectation, anticipating the return of Jesus and the renewal of all things. Now we'll head back to Matthew 6 again, and here we find the next part of Jesus' pattern for prayer. Verse 10, the latter half, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here Jesus calls us to pray for God's will to be done on earth. Now for many, prayer has simply become the place where we lay our requests before God. Now telling him our needs isn't wrong, not at all, it's not bad. In fact, the Lord's Prayer invites us to do so a little bit later on. But by focusing this alone, we're robbing ourselves of the richness and the blessing of aligning ourselves with God and His greater purpose. Jesus tells us to pray, your will be done, because the ultimate goal of prayer is not to convince God of our heart, but to align our heart with His. Carrying out God's will begins with recognizing that God's will is always done. It's always done, always and everywhere. We cannot break God's will in the sense of preventing Him from doing what He has decided to do. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. And so when we pray, Your will be done, we're affirming the rule and reign of God and that it extends everywhere. And we're accepting our human limitations. Placing ourselves in this posture of humility is the first step towards embracing the will of God. The next thing to understand is that the will of God proceeds from the character of God and the heart of God. It proceeds from the character of God and the heart of God. His will is a living expression of His wisdom, His justice, His truth, and His love. His will is is based in His overarching plan for the redemption of, of His creation. But despite the immensity of all that God is a part of, His will also includes the desire that He has for each of us as His children to grow in their relationship with Him as the Heavenly Father. His will is always about what's best for us. Romans 8 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So praying your will be done is a prayer for God's will to be done in every area of our lives, in our family, in our friends, in our cities, in our communities. It's about surrendering to the will of God humbly requesting God to give us the strength to follow His will in living a life that glorifies Him. And so the third step we can take in learning to pray the Lord's Prayer is to pray for His will to be done. It means we humbly recognize that God's rule and reign is over all. It means that we surrender our will and step into God's will. And we ask for the courage and the wisdom to do so. Now the first three aspects of the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's pattern for prayer, focus on God and His character and His work within our world. In the next three, we find that the focus shifts towards the follower of Jesus. Matthew 6 verse 11, Give us today our daily bread. In this part of His pattern for prayer, Jesus is instructing us to pray for our daily needs. Now, obviously we need bread. We need sustenance to live physically. But here, bread is also used as a metaphor for all of our earthly needs. When we pray for bread, we pray for our job, our home, our health. It's a prayer for every need. That vehicle that's broken down. The child in school who's struggling. The fears that we have regarding this pandemic. Prayer for daily bread means we're praying for all of life's necessities as well as the peace and the health to enjoy them. As we pray for daily bread, we learn to trust in God's provision. It's about turning from our self-reliance and asking for, the, for a heart that recognizes and relies on God. It's about His provision, not our effort. Praying for daily bread also teaches us to be thankful. The habit of asking actually implies a response of thanksgiving. When we give thanks, we take our eyes off of what we do not have 
Just as the world looks smaller from the window of a plane at about 35,000 feet, in thankful prayer we rise above our daily problems and see the abundance of God. As we pray for daily bread, we also learn contentment and simplicity. When the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness, God provided them with literal daily bread in the form of manna. It contained everything needed in terms of nourishment, but it only lasted for one day. If they gathered more than they needed for day two, except on the Sabbath, it would go bad. When we ask for daily bread, we ask for a portion of life's blessings that is enough for this day. We do not ask for too little so that we're unable to pay our bills or provide for our families or help those in need, nor do we ask for too much. A life filled with possessions and luxuries can take our eyes off of God. The writer of Proverbs actually understood this well. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So the fourth step that we can take in learning Jesus' pattern for prayer is to pray for daily provision. It's a recognition of God as the provider of everything. It's a time to focus on giving thanks. Perhaps it's also a time to repent of self-indulgence. And it's an opportunity to pray about being generous. Who can I give something to? Who can I give to around me? Where can I be generous? These are all things included in this part of, of praying the Lord's Prayer. In verse 12 of Matthew 6, we find the next part of Jesus' pattern for prayer. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In this part of Jesus' prayer, we see a focus on forgiveness, and that's what we're to pray for. And from this verse, we see that forgiveness is, is also twofold. Forgive us our debts, that's the first part of it. First of all, Jesus instructs us to seek forgiveness for our own sinful actions. Some of our wrongdoing will be painfully obvious to us. Other offenses we've committed may not be as clear. This involves inviting the Holy Spirit to look into our lives, to reveal and convict us of our sinful actions and attitudes. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Once we understand how we've offended God and perhaps others as well, we can go freely to God to confess and repent. And remember, right from the first part of, of this prayer, that God is our Father. He's our Abba. He's our Daddy who will gladly listen and extend forgiveness when we ask. Now, despite the truth that God forgives, some of us find it challenging to receive the forgiveness of God. Perhaps there's a difficult past of condemnation, or maybe the lies of the spiritual enemy of Satan have filled you with fearfulness. Whatever the case, focus on the promises of God can bring the assurance needed to step out in faith and humility and personally confess and repent. I love Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and this is God speaking. Come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Come on, let's take care of this. Let's, let's get it off the books. He continues, Though your sins are, as, are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In 1 John 1, 9, a verse which many of us are familiar with, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Once we confess and repent, the forgiveness is God is as complete and finished as the sacrificial work of Jesus on our behalf. 1 John 2, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for the sin of the whole world. See, here's the key. 
Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Don't dwell on your sin. Don't dwell on, on our sin or our guilt. Our sin has been nailed to the cross and our debt has been canceled by the work of Christ. Now there's a second aspect to Jesus' teaching regarding forgiveness. We're also called to extend forgiveness to those who have offended us. Forgive us our debts, we talked about that, as we have forgiven our debtors. The harsh reality is that we will be offended and hurt by others. A rough word, minor neglect, criticism, these things happen and in almost honesty they heal over time. But what do we, what do, we do about the big hurts of life? Victims of abuse, those who have been defrauded and lost everything, wrongful accusation that's deeply hurtful and damaging, even, the, even lasting over a lifetime. How do we deal with the indictable offenses of life? First of all, it's important for us to realize that extending forgiveness brings just as much, if not more, healing to the offended as the offender. When we are deeply hurt, we tend to hang on to the offense and we beat up our offender over and over again in our minds. The emotional energy this takes, I mean, that's incredible. And the cost of our unforgiveness is far higher than most realized. We're dogged by trauma and bitterness. Our ability to trust is often damaged or lost. We become angry and cynical and often hard-hearted. The joy and richness of relationships is lost. A wise person once said, unforgiveness is the poison I drink while trying to kill you. It's so true. In Matthew 18, we read this. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now what Jesus is getting at is not that we keep a running tally of offenses and once our offender has hit that magic number of 77, he's done. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus multiplied what Peter suggested by 10 and then added another seven to emphasize that we ought to extend forgiveness without limit. There's no limit. That's what Jesus is getting at. There's so much that we can talk about when it comes to forgiveness. Unfortunately, we can't do it all now because of time. But I have learned that forgiveness is the only way to freedom from our hurt. Sometimes that freedom comes immediately upon extending forgiveness and, and there's almost a miracle that happens in our lives. And sometimes it's a journey where we repeatedly extend forgiveness and over time, freedom comes. So the fifth step that we can take in learning to pray the Lord's Prayer is to pray for the forgiveness of our own sin as well as for that of our offenders. We need to thank Jesus for the price he paid to make forgiveness possible and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal our sin, repent and ask to be forgiven. We need to step out in faith and then extend forgiveness as well to those who have offended you. And we need to pray for them. When we pray for someone, our heart changes. And so that, that's an encouragement that scripture extends to us. We're to, to forgive and then pray for our offenders. And it's an incredible um, piece of the forgiveness process that happens when we can do that. Verse 13 of Matthew 6 brings us to the last section of the Lord's pattern for prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here we're instructed to pray for protection from trials. James 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and are enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. See, we need to understand that God doesn't tempt us to sin. Because we've been created with a free will, we're tempted all on our own. 
And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're recognizing our weaknesses. We're recognizing that in and of ourselves, there's little that we can do to battle our human sinfulness or stand against the onslaught of temptation that fills the world around us. But as the passage says, there is delivery. There's delivery from the evil one. And this deliverance comes through the person of Christ. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so we, when we pray delivers from the evil one, we're recognizing that it's only in Jesus that we find the strength to resist. This means that we rely on the resources of Christ, on the Word of God and on the Spirit of God to stand firm. When we stand firm, the strength that comes through Christ, then in that there is relief from temptation. 1 Corinthians says, No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can endure under it. So here's the sixth step that we can take in learning to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're to pray for spiritual safety, for protection, and for deliverance. We recognize our human inability to withstand temptation. We recognize God's presence and Jesus' power to resist, endure, and overcome. And we stand firm in Him. There's so much to look at when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. And I feel like we've just kind of blown through it today. It's a super crash course, Cole's Note kind of version. But if you're interested in personally digging into it more deeply, I found John Smed's book, Journey in Prayer, to be very helpful and insightful. And in fact, I've used it as a resource for much of what I've shared today. And I just want to be sure to give that credit today. As we close, I think it's only natural that we close with the Lord's Prayer. And I'll use the traditional prayer that many of us are familiar with. So if you want to join in with me as I read this at the end, we can do that. And as, as we move through it, as, as we pray, I want to remind us that this is not just words that we pray. It's a pattern for prayer. There are sections in this. Um, and we're meant, it's meant to teach those of us who follow Jesus how to pray. And if we use this as a pattern for prayer, not just words that we, that we recite, we'll get to know Christ better. We'll get to know the Father better. And we'll grow and we'll mature and we'll be changed as we move through this prayer and as we engage it. Let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.